You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Uh, and otherwise, for us, in our time together this morning, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter uh, 23 and chapter 24. Uh, so I just encourage you to turn there now, uh, Luke chapter 23, uh, be towards the tail end, uh, so be Luke 23, verse 50 is where we're going to pick it up this morning. Um, how, how providential is it for us to have been in the Gospel of Luke for three years? You guys have been hearing me kind of rant about this for a while, but how providential is it for us to be in the Gospel of Luke for like three years as a church family? So, so for those of you that have been tracking with us for that long, and, uh, and then today to land on this text without any plan, but to have God in His providence give us this text, the text of the resurrection on Easter. How crazy, how cool is that man I'm stoked to preach through this text I'm stoked for that uh, so Luke 23 verse 50 through 24 12 is where we're going to be uh, this morning and as we head there as we consider those verses I want you to consider this truth it should be on the screen in front of you it's this truth that Jesus died was buried and then was resurrected he was died he died he was buried and then and then he came back to life Life, right? The truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, man, it impacts our life. It impacts our life. And the big idea here is that that truth of Jesus coming to earth as the God-man, living and then dying a horrible death, and then being buried in a tomb, and then three days later coming back to life, that, that gives us a new hope. It gives us courage. Think about these questions for a minute. What do you hope for as you walked in this morning? What, what was it that you were hoping for the most? As you woke up this morning, what was it that was grabbing your heart? Or, or, or what was it that was welling up from deep within your soul? What, what fears uh, were there inside of you that are directly connected to what you hope for, what you long for, what you crave the most? What is it that, that captures your mind the most? Is it a bigger paycheck? Is it a better relationship? Is it, is it the car running right? Is it, is it your kids behaving more? What is that hope, that craving, that longing uh, that, that is welling up deep within you? And, and, and then connected to that, um, where do you need to find the most courage? Where do you need to be um, emboldened? Where do you need to just take a stand and draw a line? Right? Where we place our hope is directly connected to our ability to live courageously and live boldly and draw those lines in the sand and take a stand, right? <coughs> so my hope this morning as we say this text, my hope is that as we examine this passage and as we, as we consider this truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that what will happen is that you and I, that all of us in this room, would be inspired, would be encouraged, would be, would be challenged to maybe redirect our hope, to maybe have our hopes redirected. 
and to give us great courage to face the things in our personal lives that we need to face, that we need to own up to, that we need to take a stand on, that we need to take a bold stand on, right? That we just need to be courageous in. That's my hope. So look at Luke 23, beginning in verse 50. <coughs> Luke tells us this. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. Who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. <clears throat> then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And this is key. And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Wow. Let me pray. Let me pray before I preach, yeah? Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the truth of the resurrection. Thank you for the, the truth that you came, that you died, that you gave your life so that we, who were previously without hope, could now have a new hope. So that we, who were previously living in the shadows of our sin, we who were dark and, and alienated from you, could now be given new life and brought in to live a courageous life as we boldly proclaim you. God, I pray that you would make that message clear to us this morning. Thank you, Father, for the power of the empty tomb. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So as we followed Luke's account um, throughout his gospel, and Luke has been very careful to outline the details of Jesus' life in an, in an organized fashion. An organized and simple fashion. Simply so that we could um, gain a perspective 
Uh, and, and, and so that we could become certain and sure of who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and what Jesus continues to do um, in our lives. Like this was the purpose that Luke wrote this gospel. He wanted us to be able to be certain of the truth of what's being taught throughout the scriptures. And as we come to this portion of Luke's gospel, man, the intent of Luke, I think, as an author is, is still the same. Luke wants us to be certain of, of the power of Christ, right? He wants us to be certain of the power of the empty tomb for us. He wants to give us a new hope. He wants to help us be courageous. So number one, let's consider this. Let's consider the hope and the courage of the, uh, this wealthy man named Joseph. And this is what we're going to do. Let me just stop. So we're going to do. We're going to look at the, the courage of this wealthy man. And then we're going to look at the courage and the hope of, of the women. And, and then we're also going to take a look at the courage and the hope of uh, Peter at the very end of the text. And then we're going to take a look at how that courage and how that hope um, can then affect us. So, so first we're going to consider um, the, the hope and the courage of Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy dude, a great job, solid reputation, a stellar social status. He was a member of one of the largest and most prestigious religious organizations and establishments in the known world at that time. <clears throat> he was known to be a, a super godly man. He was known to be a man whose eyes were focused on the coming of the kingdom of God. This is what Luke writes to us, right? But even though, even though Joseph had everything that a man or a woman could ever want in this life, and he still hoped in something beyond this world. Even though he had everything that any person could ever hope for, even though he had everything that any person could ever pursue. Even though he had everything that any person could ever crave or long for. <clears throat> his hope was still set on God. He hoped in something beyond this world. And he had the courage to, to take a stand against evil. Think of how scary it must have been for Joseph. Think about the fear that Joseph must have faced that day. Think of how scary it would be for him to risk losing his job by disagreeing with the religious establishment that he was a part of. How fearful that would be. I mean, the religious establishment had decided to kill Jesus. And Joseph of Arimathea disagreed. And he made it public. The one thing you could see about Joseph, this wealthy man who basically had everything you could ever hope for, maybe. He laid it all on the line so that in public, people would know that he had trusted in Christ. What kind of effect should that have on our hearts this morning? Think 
how risky it must have been. Think about this. How risky it must have been for Joseph to go to um, the local uh, political leader, right? He went to the political establishment, and, and they weren't voted in. So back in those days, you couldn't send emails and post Facebook things about the local political leader because you hated their guts because they didn't rule the way you wanted them to. If you did that, you would get killed, right? So Joseph goes to the local governing leader who wasn't there by public election, and he asks for Jesus' body so he can lay it in a tomb. What kind of courage must it have taken for Joseph to follow through with that? And how should that affect us and the way that we live our lives? Think about it. How should this affect the way that we pursue our jobs? How should this affect the way that we pursue relationships? How should this affect the way that we should raise our children? How should this affect what we look at on the internet? How should this affect how we relate to one another? How should this affect our engagement in gospel community or in the church? How should this affect our daily lives? Right? How should this affect the hope that you have? How should this affect the courage that you exhibit as you walk and as you live? I think for Joseph, I think his deep hope his deep longing, his deep craving for the kingdom of God. It was on display in these moments. It was proven. It was obvious for all that watched who this man was and what he actually hoped in. He wasn't hoping in his job to save him. He wasn't hoping in his religious establishment to save him. He wasn't hoping in his political leaders to save him. He was hoping in Christ alone. That's what he was hoping in. And it gave him great courage. And for Joseph of Arimathea, for this wealthy man, you think about it, his faith was no longer just a private thing between him and God. His faith was now public. Very public. This is a model and an example, I think, for us of what happens at the cross of Christ where we observe Jesus dead. And as we think about his burial in that tomb, and as we think about the fact that that tomb is empty and he is alive, that power of that message radically transforms and changes the way we engage with what we hope in and the way that we take courageous stands. Consider number two, maybe the hope and the courage of the women who had followed Jesus. Like Luke tells us that, that these women uh, in our passage, they had come with Jesus from Galilee, right? They had followed Jesus from Galilee to this place where they watched him get murdered. And now after he's died, they follow along behind Joseph of Arimathea, right? As he carries Jesus' dead body to the tomb where he was buried. This is one of, the, it's one of the most important truths. This is the most important truth, I think, in all of Scripture. Like, according to the Apostle Paul, if Jesus never died and was not resurrected, our hope is useless. Like, hoping that God would somehow change your life 
it's, it's useless if this isn't true. If, if, if this can be explained away, okay, we have no reason to be here today. You might as well find something else to hope in. Your hope in that relationship, your hope in the absence of a relationship, your hope in making more money, your hope in, in your boss being a nicer person, your hope in your kids respecting you. Those are, those are better places to, to place your hope now if this isn't true, right? The truth that Jesus died and was actually placed in a tomb points to the fact that the tomb was also empty. If, as some people would like to say, oh, Jesus just merely swooned. He faked his death. He was somehow alive behind that big rock in that tomb. And somehow, with those nail-scarred hands, somehow he got up after three days. And he, he had enough strength then to roll the rock away, right? right? That, that's one theory that's out there. It takes more faith to believe that. Another theory that's out there that you'll see all over TV and from people who reject the resurrection and the death of Jesus. Another theory that you'll see out there is that, well, well Jesus' followers, man, they, they came and they, they rolled the rock away and they stole Jesus' body and they hid it somewhere. And then Jesus had a twin and that's who was walking around later. Really? Wow, there's no, there's no historical proof of that. Number one. Number two... According to the rest of the Gospels, <clears throat> and not just the rest of the Gospels, but other historical accounts in Jewish literature, history books, and there were guards, Roman guards, right there at the tomb. Like, hello, um, you don't get past the Roman guards. I mean, those guys are like Navy SEALs, right? You don't get past those guys and just be like, hey, I'm going to throw a stick in the woods to get their attention, and now I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sneak up and roll the rock away real quick and get his body out of there? Um, yeah, that doesn't make any sense either. So um, th th there are many other theories as to why the death and the resurrection of Jesus could possibly not be true. And I would just submit to you that from my study and my understanding, it would take a whole lot more hope and faith to believe those than it would to believe what the Scriptures say to us today. It's true. The truth of the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus must shape and change our lives. Let me ask you this other question too. When you think about, when you go back to this story of the wealthy man, and as we look at the women who followed along, why, why would Joseph of Arimathea ever have to go to Pilate and ask to get his dead body down? If his body wasn't actually dead, Right? So the Romans were very good at what they did when it came to killing people. They weren't like the mafia hitmen of today who make mistakes sometimes and shoot the wrong guy or miss, right? The Romans were very good in their execution methods. It's the only reason that Joseph would have had to have gone and asked, can I get that dead body and put it in this tomb? And then now we pick it up and we see the women following along behind Joseph as he carries Jesus' dead body to the tomb. And right in the middle of what's taking place, 
right in the middle of all this, these women head back to their home after seeing the place where Jesus was buried. They head back to their home to, to prepare some spices, right? And some ointments to keep Jesus' body from stinking it up really bad. Kind of like an uh, early embalming, almost. And right in the middle of all that important work, one of, the, one of the key things that I think I see in this passage that really affected me is that these women pressed pause right in the middle of all that work. Like, how hard is it for you to stop working? Like, how hard is it for you to stop working and stop striving and stop agonizing and stop worrying? How hard is it for you to do that and then just stop and spend time in the presence of Jesus? And when you come to spend time in the presence of Jesus, are you really spending time in the presence of Jesus? Or, or are you just agonizing, worrying? Where are you at as you come to Him? Because these ladies, man, right in the middle of some of the most important work in the world, man, they stopped and they rested. If anybody would have ever had a, had a real religious excuse, could have been these women, right? Like, I think we're just going to continue working through the Sabbath. We're going to continue working through the day where we should be resting. We're going to continue working through that because we've got to take care of Jesus' body. I mean, I think that would have been a pretty good excuse, don't you agree? But these women, and these women, I think what they did in the midst of stopping their labor, stopping their anxiousness, stopping all their striving, stopping all their working, I think in the midst of doing that, I think that in some respect we see their hope and their courage on display. They weren't hoping in all the things that they could do. They were hoping in God and what He could do when they stopped trying to do. You follow me? I just let's drill deeper. Like, like imagine the anxiety that these women were feeling. Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. You've been following Jesus all this time, right? Trusting Him, hoping in Him. Believing that he was the king who was coming. It was going to uproot this nasty political system that had taken over. Believing that when he came, he was going to get himself seated on the throne of David in the temple. And he was going to knock out the, the religious establishment, which was so corrupt you couldn't shake a stick at it, right? This is what they were thinking Jesus was going to do. And he doesn't. He dies at the cross instead. So think of the anxiety that these women felt. Think of the depression and the fear that they were dealing with. They just watched Jesus' horrific death, and they watched his mind-numbing burial, right? Jesus, for them, had turned out at this point not to be the person they had always hoped for. In, in some regard, you could say that all of their hopes were dashed in those moments. Now just stop for a second and think, where have your hopes been completely crashed? Where have you felt the most depression, sadness, pain, fear, anxiety, worry? Where have you felt that emotion the most in the last week? Those feelings are an indicator of where you place your hope. Think of these women, how they must have felt 
in these moments. They just watched Jesus' death and burial, right? And now, now it's the Sabbath. And now they're forced to stop all of their striving, right? All of their working. What do you and I do when our hopes get dashed? What what are you tempted to do the most? When your hopes get dashed, two things, one end of the pendulum swing to the other. You're either going to do one or the other, right? You're either A, going to go hide in a corner and suck your thumb, because that's something we all do, right? I'm not just saying that you're going to do that because I don't like you. I'm saying I will come do this with you. So when your hopes are dashed against the rocks of disappointment next week, say that again. When your hopes are dashed, crashed, shattered, trampled underfoot, completely freaking destroyed against the rocks of disappointment next week, give me a call. I would be happy to go sit in the corner with you and suck my thumb with you. Because that's, that's our tendency, is to go hide from it, right? And just kind of sit in our little pity party, right? Like, poor pitiful me. It's so sad. I feel so bad because it hurts. This is what we do. I didn't get what I want. My life sucks. Why can't I just have what I want? Why can't I have that little bottle so I can nurse my little baby called sin and death, right? So we do. We either do that. That's one thing we do. Or, or the other thing that we do is we get really freaking aggressive. Like, this is the passive side over here. I'm going to go hide, pretend like that didn't happen, and cry myself to sleep. David did this, cried big fat elephant tears into his pillow, and actually said, God, where are you? My life is a freaking wreck. God, where are you? My hopes are getting crashed against the rocks of disappointment, and you've left me all by myself. The same words that Jesus said at the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me why am I so alone why won't anybody walk with me why do I have to keep striving against all this hardship why do I have to keep facing that temptation yet again why won't this fear just go away right why have you left me alone It's the words of Jesus on the cross. So on one side, we either just passively sit in the corner and suck our thumbs, right? Throw our pity party, sit in our despair. Or we go over this other side. It's all aggression, right? I'm going to force this thing to work out my way. I'm going to fix you, and I'm going to fix you, and I'm going to fix me. I'm going to fix everything else around me that's freaking broken because I can't handle it because my hope is placed in getting what I want now. So you give it to me. And if you don't give it to me, you're my enemy, right? It's aggression. So it's either passivity or it's aggression. And I pursue, pursue, pursue. I send text messages. I send emails. I get face-to-face appointments, right? I have phone calls. Whatever it may be, I'm going to pursue everything. I'm going to fight this into the ground until you give me what I want. So we do. One or the other. And you know what happens is us really aggressive people? We murder and kill passive people. And you know what passive people do? And we do it just right in front of their face. Passive people... You know, we do, we come around the backside, like really great mafia hitmen, 
<laughs> Come around the backside, sniper rifle. Gone. This is the pendulum swing for us, right? Where is your hope? What are you hoping in? Now, your emotions would tell you a lot if you paid attention to them. Your feelings would tell you a lot if you paid attention to them. If you just stopped and wrote them down, man, I feel lonely. I feel scared. I feel angry. I feel afraid. And therefore, because of that, man, my hopes, my hopes were dashed against the rocks of disappointment. And that's why I feel this way. I need Jesus to redirect my hope back to Him so that I can have the courage to stand Firm, not run off to the corner and not run over here to this big aggressive mindset like I'm just going to force my way through this. Right? I'm going to have the courage to stand. Or how about this? How about the courage to rest? How about the courage to just rest and know that, you know what? That relationship that you wanted so bad, God will give it to you when it's time. Why wouldn't we just trust Him? How about, how about when, when the pastor wants the church to grow? What if I just stepped back and rested and was like, Hey God, you know what? You've given me this right here to rest in. How about if I just pastor and shepherd and just love people really well the way that you've loved me rather than striving and working and pushing and worrying and being anxious and staying up all night and talking about it all the time. What if I just talked about you and the rest that you might give me in the midst of all my striving? Do you know how much disappointment there could be in pastoral ministry when you start out with six and four years later there's like 30 of us, right? I, I know that we all have some things we struggle with. What, what about those of you that struggle in like some of the sexual sin areas, right? Man, you know that you've been struggling with this, struggling with looking at pornography, right? And you've been struggling with it for years. And you come and you know that you're disappointed in yourself. And you feel like, man, God couldn't love me. Guess what? He can. I know that He can. I know that He does. And you know it. You know it. You know it. That disappointment that you feel, like you had your hopes set in reaching the end of the line, right? Like my repentance would be complete tomorrow. And you had your hope in being able to check that off maybe, right? I understand. I really do. Like is this the life that, is this the life that we get? Is this, is this all there is to it? He's dead at the cross. My best friend is dead at the cross. I thought that he was going to give me more than this. And this is what I get. How do I take a day off in the midst of that and trust that God is still working even though I'm not striving? Right? How do I trust Him in those moments? As these ladies... As these ladies, they, they run to the empty tomb the next day. They just watch this horrific thing happen. And then we went to the tomb only to find that the, the stone had been rolled away. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that moment of confusion for a minute? Like, this is where we were headed. This is what happened. And holy crap, the stone isn't there anymore. And the body is gone. Where did our beloved Jesus go? You imagine the fear in the midst of that? How twisted up you might be? Like the last time you saw Jesus, He was definitely dead, right? 
the last time that you saw his tomb, the stone was definitely rolled in front of the door. There was no changing the circumstances that you were facing on that day. Have you ever had a day like that? Where you're like, nothing is going to change. It's set in stone. My life will always be this way. Ever have that feeling? So women get up and they run to the tomb and they see this. Maybe the last time you were there, there was a group of armed guards protecting his body. This is what was happening. And then right in the midst of that fear, right in the midst of that confusion, two angels plop onto the scene, right? Asking you, hey, hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You're looking in the wrong place. He's alive. He's not dead. Have you forgotten what he said to you? And then you remember, in a moment, what Jesus said. In those moments, when you face the most difficult of days, when you wake up in the morning, you realize that all of your hopes, all of your wishes, and all of your dreams, and all of your longings, <laughs> they're no different than they were the day before. When you realize that what you had been hoping for all along, that still wasn't there the day before. When the husband that left you the day before still isn't there the next morning. When the woman that you wish to have still isn't there the next morning. When the grades that you struggle with at school still aren't up the next morning. When the new job that you wish that you had the night before hasn't changed the next morning, when you realize that. And in fact, maybe it's gotten worse. What do you do? Do you remember the words of Jesus? There's nothing more practical that I could preach to you guys other than remember the words of Jesus. There's nothing else that keeps me walking this line that I walk other than the words of Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, I will be handed over, the chief priests, the scribes, and all my enemies, they will abuse me, mock me, hurt me, wound me, murder me. But guess what? Three days later, I will come back to life. And you know what? You can rest in that same power coursing through you. How encouraging is that? That's what we need to remember. That's where we need to place our hope and our trust. Three days ago, three days ago, you faced the darkest moment in all of human history. Right? You wished it all would just come to an end. You watched as they crucified him and beat him. It was the most horrifying day in all of human history. You watched. You lost your best friend. Your world fell apart. Three days ago, you faced the most tragic event of your life. Three days ago, you longed. You craved. You hoped for a different life than the one that you have now. 
Three days ago, in the midst of deep depression and crippling fear, you cried yourself to sleep. You begged God to show up and change this. That's where you were. And this morning, this morning you woke up and you realized that there is purpose in suffering. You realize that there is purpose in suffering. And you realize that there is hope in the power of God over Satan, sin, and the grave. That's what you realized when you woke up this morning. That's what I pray God would reveal to every one of you here. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive, right? He's alive. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Will you place your hope in Him and Him alone? Will you leave the rest of it behind? Will you leave it in the grave? Will you come to new life? The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. In the words of the famous newsboy song, God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's roaring on the inside like a lion. What kind of courage does this inspire within you? What kind of hope does this arouse within you? And when these women encountered the empty tomb, the proclamation of the angels that Jesus is certainly alive, what did they do? And they ran back to the, to the other disciples and they were, they were courageously proclaiming the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In an instant, in a moment, their hope was grounded and they became the first bold and courageous preachers of the resurrection. God spoke through the mouths of women in that culture first to proclaim Jesus is alive. He uses all of us as weak and broken vessels to proclaim that message. What do you hope in and where do you need to find courage? The first thing these women did was proclaim the gospel, not only to themselves, but to the people around them. And I, I remember a morning this last week where I woke up and when I went to bed, I was in such despair. I felt such a deep depression. I was so sad. I had countless stories in my head of my hopes being shattered on the rocks of disappointment. And I sat out in my driveway with my wife and I just wept. I just said, I just want to quit. Jesus, will you please take me out? I'm so tired of the struggle. In the midst of that, 
we remembered together. The tomb is empty. And Jesus is alive. My hope is not placed on anything here on this earth. And in fact, Paul says in Philippians that forgetting the past, I keep my eyes focused on the future, on the upward call in Christ Jesus. My eyes focused on heaven, forgetting that which lies behind. This is an active word. It's not forget like a one-time forget. It's forgetting day by day by day, forgetting the past, forgetting the things that I used to place my hope in. I now place my hope in the upward call of Christ Jesus so that I might walk differently, so that I might walk in the works that God prepared for me beforehand at the very foundations of the earth. And the things that God calls you and I to do as believers, when he calls us to resist sin and murder sin and walk away from that. He doesn't do that saying, no, I'm just going to sit back in the corner and watch you do it. When He calls us to forget, He calls us to do that and the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power unto life and salvation. That's new life. That's the picture of hope. Uh, number three, as we come to the end, man, we, we, we would want to consider the hope and the courage of Peter. Now, at first glance, you might look at Peter in this passage and go, man, why would you choose him in this passage as a picture of hope and courage? I mean, dude biffs it all the time, right? Let's not forget that he's just denied Christ three times. You think that the places that you and I struggle in our sin, you think that that's bad? You fall in despair because of that? Man, think of Peter for a minute. This guy denied Jesus, walked with him in the flesh, physically stood up, publicly proclaimed, I do not know that guy, and then cussed and swore about it and walked away. Ha! Huh. That's the Peter we're talking about. It's also numbered among the disciples who didn't believe. When the women came and proclaimed Christ, he didn't believe. Man, they thought it was fairy tales, right? Like, this is a jacked up story. These women are crazy, right? They're gripped with their fear. They're gripped with their sadness. This is a fairy tale that they're telling us this morning. Peter got up, ran out that door, ran down to the empty tomb saw it for himself, and then went home wondering, what the ever-living heck is going on? It's really what was taking place. He didn't go home believing necessarily in those moments. Went home wondering, what in the ever-living heck is going on? Ever have that moment? As you're thinking about Jesus, not quite at that point of belief or trust, but just kind of wondering, what in the ever-living heck is going on. Confused, bewildered. That's where Peter's at. And you might think, that doesn't look like a picture of hope. Doesn't look like a picture of courage. Let's not forget some of Peter's passage. You think about him. <coughs> Dude was a fisherman. Right? Jesus like, hey, you know what? Toss the uh, net on the other side of the boat. You might find some success there. Really, Jesus, you think you know more about fishing? Fine, whatever, I'll try it. Pulls that net up full of fish. Holy cow. In a boat one night when it was storming. 
Jesus is walking on the water, looks like a ghost. You get freaked out because you're like, man, we're going to die. In the midst of that, you see Jesus just walking. You're, you're scared. And then Jesus is like, yo, it's just me. Come on out, walk on the water with me. Oh, really? You're crazy. I'm going to go back to bed. I don't know what kind of crack you're smoking. Jesus, see ya. Peter, though, Peter, the way we read it, Peter clambers over the edge of that boat as fast as he can, starts walking across water. He's like, Jesus, look at me, man. I'm walking on water. Look at this, right? Oh, crap, it's stormy. I'm on water. Choop. Right? Starts to sink. Isn't that a great picture of what happens in our faith and our trust when we begin to see that our hopes got dashed against the rock's disappointment? Isn't that what happens? You stop trusting. You begin to sink. You start to fall. That's the term we use. What did Peter do? <laughs> well, he walked on water. That was freaking awesome. But then he also sank in the water. He did have a much better experience than the rest of the disciples because the rest of them just stayed in the stinking boat and never got out. <laughs> and here, here, it's like, I don't know what the heck's going on. He's denied Christ three times. Now he sees the empty tomb. If you read the book of Acts, here's what you'll see, man. Here's what you'll see. You're going to see a dude who, yeah, Man, he fell, and he got up, and he fell, and he got up, and he fell, and he got up. And every time that Peter got back up, he was more powerful. Because the power of the empty tomb and the power of the Holy Spirit coursed through him. And this dude preached messages throughout the book of Acts that brought many to Christ. But it also meant that at the end of the day, he died a horrific death, crucified upside down. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not come to Jesus, follow him, you get your husband, you get your wife, you get your kids acting right, you get a brand new car, your house gets rebuilt. You don't get all those things. That's not the picture that we get. Our hope isn't now. Our hope is then. That's what gives us great joy in the midst of suffering, is that we place our hope in a sure and certain foundation. Christ himself. And you see that all throughout Peter's life as he hoped in Christ and found courage in Christ. So the two things that you and I get, two things that you and I need, probably a better way of saying that, is a new hope and a new courage. Now where we once hoped and longed and craved for the pain to just stop, or for the sinful desire to be met, and we now have a new hope, man. Like we, where we once craved immediate gratification from that pain and that fear and the anxiety, the, the loneliness, the confusion. Where we once tried to subdue that or feed that through our sexual sin or our overworking or our living in frustration or just sitting in the corner, staying silent or, or even protecting our assets, right? Or speaking words of anger, man. Man, instead of doing those things, we can now place our hope in the resurrected Christ whose death and burial and resurrection gives us new hope. Because it's new hope and the truth that Christ has been victorious over Satan's sin in the grave. And number two, number two, and we, we are given a new courage. Like where we once cowered in fear and loneliness and depression, just wishing that we could hide in the corner of our sinful cycles of using and abusing and striving and working to protect and project public status that looks more appealing 
we can now live courageously and boldly, taking a stand against the evil desires that drive us to use people in our public pursuits for our own satisfaction. Like where we once cowered in fear of what people might think or say about us, and we can now live courageously and boldly, taking a stand for the truth of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the only hope of the world. Jesus is alive. He's been resurrected. And He's victorious over Satan, sin, and the grave. Do you hope in this truth? Does this truth give you great courage? Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time today. Thank You that the tomb is empty. Pray, God, that You would renew our hope in You. That You would give us great courage in You. That You would center our focus and our gaze not upon our hopes in this world being dashed against the rocks of despair or dashed against the rocks of disappointment, but that You would instead lift our eyes, helping us to forget as we continue forgetting what lies behind with our eyes focused on the future. I pray that, Lord Jesus, for each of us. I pray that you would help our hearts to find refreshment in you and find fresh hope in you and find the courage to stand trusting in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Just stay seated, please. We're going to continue into worship. We'll close with a song. We'll also close you know, with communion. I want to give you guys an opportunity to just let some of the things that I've said just sink in. Examine your heart for a moment, maybe. There'll be two of us here in a minute to serve communion. For us here, communion is for believers. The reason is because if you're an unbeliever, you don't believe in Christ, then this is meaningless. And we find a lot of meaning in remembering our Savior whose blood was shed. His body was broken for you and I. So that you and I who once lived without hope could now have hope. So if you're here and you're not a believer, that's cool. We're glad you're here. We love you. We want you here. My prayer is that God would lead you to a place of salvation where you believe and you trust. I want to walk through that with you. I want to have those conversations. Just don't want you to buy into some meaningless activity. If you're here and you're a believer, then we invite you here in a few moments. You don't have to be a member of our church. Just have to trust it in Christ. And as I leave us, I want to leave you with a quote from Psalms. As we were doing worship, and as I was preaching, this psalm kept coming to my mind. Psalm 42 is my favorite psalm in the whole world. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. It's a picture of a deer who is thirsting after something. David says, my soul Longs and thirsts for you, O oh God. Nothing else. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? All I want is to be in God's presence, David says. Verse 3 My tears have been my food day and night. I'm depressed. 
I'm sad. I didn't get what I wanted. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Hey, where's your God? Your life's off its rocker. You still didn't get what you want. You really believe there's a God in heaven? It's being mocked for his trust in God. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. I remember the times when I worshipped God. I remember how joyful that was. I remember how awesome it was to be in His presence. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why am I depressed? And why are you in turmoil within me? Why is my soul so restless? What has caused this anxiety and this worry and this stress? Now, he's, now he speaks to himself again. Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, God, from the land of Jordan and Hermon, Mount Mizar, deep calls of deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your ways have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I ask God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. It's reminding himself. You've hoped in something else. That's why my soul is in turmoil. Soul, you're in turmoil because you hoped in something other than God. So, the application is hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. It's God who does this work in us. I'll leave you with that final thought. Hope in God. I love you guys. Thanks for letting me preach. Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. He's alive. Amen? Yes, sir. He is risen. Amen? Amen. He is not dead. Amen? Amen. And what that means for you and for me is that He is victorious over all of Satan's temptations against you, all of sin's hold within you, and all of death that you would possibly face because the new life that He has, you now live in Him. He is alive. Yes, sir. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.